Hello, everyone. How are you today? I am excited to have William Porter here with me. He is the author of Alcohol Explained and Alcohol Explained 2. And I have gotten through most of Alcohol Explained, uh, really enjoying it. What a deep dive. Super impressive. Um, happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm very good, Matt. Thanks for inviting me. Unfiltered with Matt Farnsworth. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I have a, a big following of people out there who are sober, sober curious, um, entrepreneurs, people in fitness. There's there's a, a wide range of people who listen to this podcast, but the, a majority of them are really interested in sobriety, what alcohol does to the body, emotional sobriety, and how to attain happiness and serenity minus the alcohol. Mm. Um, you know, I, I would love to ask you some questions about, you know, alcohol explained, especially for those who haven't yet dived into the book. Could you maybe summarize some of the key messages you're conveying about alcohol and its impact on our lives? Yeah, absolutely. I think to, to go to a sort of a really high bird's eye level of it, I think anyone who drinks alcohol, whether they think they've got a serious problem or they're not sure, or they think they're just a moderate drinker, they drink for the reasons, I know it sounds really basic, but they drink for the reasons that they believe they get a benefit out of it. So it helps me relax, it helps me sleep, it's a social lubricant, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think most people recognize now there's health risks to it. So it's almost like a balancing act for people. It's, you know, the pros versus the cons, what I'm getting out of it compared to the potential harms. And I think really, it's horribly misunderstood because on the benefits side, a lot of the supposed benefits are actually quite illusory. Um, and on the bad side, um, it has a massive impact on various different aspects of our lives, physical, mental, all of that, that we don't associate with drinking. So I think a lot of people's drinking, they would make very different decisions around their drinking if they fully understood all the processes that were actually going on. Yeah, I, I, I've done a lot of research lately about the effects of alcohol on the body, even in limited quantities. We're not mm. talking about people who are just raging alcoholics, which this exists, people who have to drink, wake up and drink, but even the occasional drinker, someone who drinks mm. a couple of drinks a week, when they do not have that drink on board, their, their cortisol levels actually spike, right, a day or two later, and the anxiety comes on just as strong, right, urging them back to that drink. And oftentimes yeah. this is in our subconscious, right? I mean, it's it's been bedded, and we don't sometimes recognize this is happening. No, absolutely. I think the, the, the point here is life generally, but particularly human beings, they're, they're great adapters, your body adapts to things. If you start taking a drug, a drug regularly, your body adapts to it in numerous different ways. But usually, mostly, particularly with drugs like alcohol and nicotine, um, in an entirely detrimental way. Yeah, I my a lot of my work is. I know you discuss the physiological effects of alcohol, but <clears throat> my work is often particularly focused on the emotional aspect of sobriety and how alcohol can impede our emotional our emotional growth our resilience 
And I'm interested to hear your perspective on what alcohol can do to you from an emotional standpoint. There's a few different branches off on this particular topic. One of them that I think is very important. Um, there was a study, I refer to it, I think, in Alcohol Explained, and I can't remember, it was from 2017 or something from a psychological journal. Um, and what they found was people who faced up to negative emotions became more mentally resilient. And again, it goes kind of back to what I was saying before about human beings being great adapters. If you have, you know, stress or something in your life, providing it's not too much, you kind of adapt to it and get used to it. And people can even thrive on stress. It can be a motivator for them. But when you're anaesthetizing your way through it, you never actually acclimatize to it. So that has, you know, like that massive long-term impact on basically how mentally resilient you are. Mm -hmm. The other aspect of this is alcohol is an anesthetic and it anaesthetizes a part of our brain that regulates emotion. So when you feel an emotion, it kicks off and then another part of your brain jumps in to dampen it down. Now, what alcohol does, it anaesthetizes that part of your brain that regulates the emotion. So when you're drinking, you become a lot more emotive. OK, and that's where you see people, you know, crying into their drinks at the end of the evening, or texting partners or something at four in the morning. You know, a lot of people say, you know, things you say or do when you're drinking are things you really want to say or do, but you're inhibited and the alcohol allows the real you to come out. But that's complete nonsense. Alcohol actually stops your brain working in the way it should do. And that's also why there's this huge correlation between alcohol and violence. Because when you've been drinking, someone may say something or you may bump into you or something really minor. And whereas when you're sober, it might irritate you, but this part of your brain jumps in to dampen that irritation down very quickly. When you've been drinking, you cannot do that. You can't manage your emotions. So it kicks off into a fight so much easier. Wow. So the aggression is just, it's there. Um, yeah. I, I recall always telling people, no, this is not how I really feel. When I, when I would drink, and I would just say whatever I wanted to say or do just the most outlandish things. And some of my friends would be like, man, you know, let's get wasted. And when we, when we get drunk, we, we bond and we really, you know, talk about how we feel. And I felt quite the opposite mm -hmm. to that. And I agree. I mean, if you're shutting off part of your brain, right. Um, I think that, is it the hippocampus? What shuts off, um, part of the brain shuts off, which stores memory, right. And this is how we black out. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think the hippocampus is one of mm -hmm. it. The limbic system as well, I think, is a bit at the front of the brain that regulates emotion. And that's to do with memory as well. Mm -hmm. so, so how can we how can people believe that a drug that is shutting down your brain is allowing you to speak your truth or your emotional uh, insights in a way that is, is mm. valid? That's it's ironic. It doesn't make sense. It really is. Believe that. But no, is that marketing? I mean, we, we can, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole of the marketing that, you know, is out there in, in the space today around alcohol. And can you imagine if they tried to market alcohol now, uh, with the, with the knowledge that's out there, would people actually buy into this? It's mad, isn't it? I think, I think part of it's marketing, but I think a big bit of it is user experience. And this was, you know, Part of what Alcohol Explained was about was to try and explain these anomalies with drinking. I mean, one of which is, you know, 
we're talking about here, like just to go back to emotions. Now, I've just explained how alcohol makes you incapable of regulating your emotion. And I think a lot of people listening will hopefully relate to that because they'll be thinking, oh, yeah, I remember this occasion when I was drunk and I got into a fight I probably wouldn't have got into had I been sober. Or they've seen people crying and really emotional towards the end of the evening. But there's an anomaly there because what happens when you have a bad day at work and you're a bit upset? or you have an argument with your partner and you're a bit upset, the first thing you do is reach for a drink. And again, it all comes down, I'm not sure it's, that we certainly could be advertising, but I think user experience is a big part of it because it is an anaesthetic. So if you have an argument with your partner and you're upset and you take a drink, it does dull that anger and upset down because it's an anaesthetic. But after 10, 15 minutes, the alcohol's worn off, leaving a corresponding feeling of anxiety and needs another drink and another drink and another drink. And as you work through the evening, you become incapable of regulating your emotions. So your experience is I have the drink and I feel better. But what you miss is that over the course of the, the evening, that original negative emotion actually tends to spiral. And then you've got to drink more to chase it away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which comes mm. back slightly to, to the physiological effect of alcohol and how your brain deals with it. That it, it does create the desire for the next drink. Mm -hmm. And society has, well, it's really glamorized alcohol and, you know, the cultural narrative definitely is contributing to a lot of misunderstandings that you're dispelling about drinking and the consequences, uh, which is amazing. Uh, the book is really insightful, by the way. And Thank you. I, yeah, I'm I, I'm curious what got you started on this path? Like did you yourself have an an issue with alcohol? Did you Yeah uh, what, what what happened? So I, I, I had a quite a serious issue with alcohol. I started drinking when I was about fourteen or so. Um and I started drinking and smoking and I I, I don't know if you've heard of Alan Carr's easy way to stop smoking, but I came across his method of stopping smoking and it, it was kind of a revelation to me because it was such a common sense kind of pragmatic approach. So I stopped smoking, but I carried on drinking and I drank heavily for, for years. I only stopped actually in my late thirties. So it's a good kind of quarter of a century I was drinking for. Um, and I used to drink heavily at the weekend. I would really hit the drink on the weekend. Um, and, just to go back a bit into my personal history as well, when I'd finished at university, um, I was trying to get my foot into the first rung of the ladder of a legal career, and it was very hard to do. So I was paralegaling at the time, which is a fairly boring, monotonous job mostly, it's particularly here in the UK. I think it's slightly different in the US, but here in the UK, it's just basically office clerking. So I was looking for something to do that would kind of make life a bit more interesting so i ended up joining the reserve battalion of the parachute regiment um, and became a military reservist which ended up in me going out to iraq in 2005-2006 i did a six-month tour out there um, and all of these things kind of escalated my drinking to a degree in that i kind of started morning drinking so when i went out to iraq it was a six-month tour but you had two-month build-up training so you do like a, a week two weeks whatever training and then you get some time off and because i was nervous about going out there i was concerned about what was going on i was waking up in the morning really anxious looking back on it now part of that was was the alcohol um but i was waking up really nervous so i started drinking in the morning um and i wasn't 
you know, drinking in the morning is generally considered to be a bad sign. But how I was looking at it at the time, the British and US forces out, they weren't allowed alcohol because obviously it's a Muslim country. Um, so there was no alcohol. So I was thinking, I'm not going to worry too much. I'm going to cut myself some slack here. I need this to help me get through this period. But when I'm out in Iraq, obviously, I won't drink. Now, what I fail to appreciate is that with drinking and indeed with other addictions, you don't reset. There is no reset. You can stop for a bit. But if you choose to start again, you pretty much go right back to where you've left off. So when I came back from Iraq, I eventually left. I got my legal career. Um, but my drinking was just escalating and escalating. And it kind of came to a head in 2014. So it's just coming up to my 10 year soberversary. Um, but I had started drinking. I can't remember. I'd been out for a business lunch or something. I'd started drinking. I'd drunk into the evening. I'd rung in sick for work the next day and just kept drinking and drinking and drinking. I woke up on, I think, a Saturday morning. I'd been drinking solidly for five or six days. My, I hadn't been into work. I'd rung in sick. My wife had left with the two kids. Um, and that was really kind of a low point for me. And I thought, I can't keep doing this. I can't because, you know, wife and kids are gone. I've rung in sick for a week at work. That can't go too much longer before I'm fired. So that was kind of like my my rock bottom, as it were. Um, and that, it was that point where I was like, I can't keep doing this. I have to stop. So I quit, but it was about a year later then that I wrote Alcohol Explained because I think what I'd done, not deliberately, but I'd approached it in the same interested, pragmatic way that had helped me stop smoking, that method of, hang on, what's this actually doing for me? Okay, I want a drink. What is it that's motivating, motiv motivating me to take it? What's it actually doing for me? What is was it not doing for me? And because I'd had periods of sobriety, I could kind of compare life as a non-drinker with life as a heavy drinker and start to kind of connect the dots, as it were, to see the bigger picture. Wow. I, I wasn't expecting some of some of that in, in your story. Not that I was have you know expectations or I try not to. Yeah. Um, but uh, excellent story. I, wow. Iraq. Um, that's that's intense that had to be a very very uh i can understand using the chemical or wanting to in the morning knowing that you're going to be headed into this you know dangerous place and then actually trying to deal with it without the alcohol while you're there which is probably a good thing because it probably kept you somewhat safe not having mm. the alcohol on oh, board. God, yeah yeah but um what was that experience like it was, well, this is one of the things, the experience, and it, I suppose to a degree it's often the case, it's the, it's the fear rather than the reality that's worse sometimes. And actually looking back on it, the build up to it was worse than actually being out there. But of mm -hmm. course, another aspect of that is having gone out there, because there was no alcohol, I stopped drinking. And right. I found that after a very short space of time, I mean, it was incredibly stressful and difficult out there. Um, but I found I was coping better and I just felt better. And I think this was one of the key messages from the book is that comparing the two was like light and darkness. It was so completely different. Having, not that you sleep enough, but at least when I was sleeping in Iraq, I was getting quality sleep, which you don't get when you're drinking alcohol, um, not messing with my brain chemistry. I found I was just that much more mentally resilient and able to deal with it. 
um, it kind of it didn't stop me drinking because, of course, when I came back, the first thing I did was start drinking again. Yeah. Um, but it, it's certainly an interesting data point because it gave me six months of not drinking and being able to compare how I felt in that period compared to how I felt. Because, I mean, if you look at it from a you know, simple common sense perspective, where are you going to feel better, you know, in an extremely poor country in a war zone? Or in a you know a nice comfortable Western society in an office job, <laughs> there's no comparison. No. But actually, I was feeling better when I was out there physically and mentally than I was when I was back and I was drinking. That's really an interesting point you make. I had a video that I created, and it was very anti-alcohol, which I am. I don't, I, you know, I don't believe in it. I think it's an awful drug, but mm. I. I posted this video on YouTube and it got like 50,000 views straight away. Just people just went crazy over this video and a lot of uh, trolling, a lot of hate as well. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and so this one guy posts this really poignant comment and he says, uh, being in alcoholic is worse than fighting in a war. And I've done both. Okay. So he'd been in the Vietnam war. And so it's so interesting that you say, it was actually harder to sleep drinking alcohol in a comfortable environment with a family versus being in a war zone. That's how, how tough alcohol is on the body. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that they don't, it's such a powerful drug, isn't it? It really mm -hmm. does have the ability to soothe, like you said, that emotion that we have. And I'm curious. So in your background, when you go back, you know, was, was there some things you had to work on to say, uh, look at yourself introspectively and say, well, maybe I've got some issues from, you know, stemming from trauma from when I was younger that I had to work through in order to stop drinking. Did you go to AA? Did you do any of those things? Uh, what was your process when you became sober? You mentioned that you, um, and I don't really, the word sober is good, but sober just means not being intoxicated, right? Mm, yeah. So, so what not having alcohol on board? So what actually did you do to become, you know, able to live with some serenity and work through whatever was causing you to run to the chemical? How did that work for you? The smoking series, the one that you, the one that you listened to that got you through smoking and, and you ended up writing the book based on, you know, some of these statistics that you, these uh, lessons that you had learned in this book. How did that work for you? I'm just curious about the whole process. Yeah, so I suppose there's a few a few different strands to, to to talk about there. One of the things, and I, having been in the military, I I, I exercise quite a bit. I go to the gym, I run, um, mm -hmm. and I carried on doing that after I'd left the military simply because it made me feel good. It was a great yeah. way of having stress relief, and I think I was incredibly lucky having that because when I was drinking, I would exercise when I could, but when the weekends came and I was hungover, I didn't do any exercise because I just couldn't manage it. Um, so when I quit, obviously, I, I exercised more and that became mm -hmm. my go to for stress relief. So, you know, I'm at, you know, like you, I'm an advocate that the sober life is it's about living your best life and it is a better life. But it is life and life has its ups and downs and it has its difficulties. And what you need when you have those difficulties is some kind of stress relief. But I'd almost inadvertently had that automatically built in because I started exercising and that was my stress relief. Mm -hmm. um, Life wasn't perfect afterwards, but what I found was um, 
I was coping so much better with things. So I had and still have various issues. But what I found was when I was drinking, not all the issues, but most of them that felt really overpowering weren't actually overpowering. And when I quit, I treated them more like the usual stresses and strains of everyday life that you just get on with. It was actually the alcohol, the messing with your brain chemistry, the lack of sleep, the degradation on your physical self was affecting me mentally. And I felt less able to deal with those things. Um, I ended up, and this was actually quite recently, I've been going to therapy recently to help with things. But for me, I separated out, if you like, the drinking and the other underlying issues. And I think that's one of the things I do kind of emphasize with people with alcohol explained. So say you've got trauma or a mental health issue or ADHD, whatever it is, and you think this is the reason that I'm, you know, I'm reaching for the drink in the first place. You've got various ways of managing that, okay? You could try actual medication. You could try um, therapy. You could try, you know, lots of different ways of dealing with it. Um, One of those ways is alcohol and other drugs, okay? What I try to do with Alcohol Explained is to explain why why alcohol shouldn't even factor there because it has so many negative consequences and so few on the positive side, most of which are illusory anyway, it's just not to be there. Um, so I, to talk about AA as well, I did go to AA, I went to, to AA for two stints. Um, I found it incredibly, incredibly useful talking to people because we don't open up about alcohol addiction, it's still see, seen as a shameful thing. Mm. Um, and it's inc- I found it incredibly empowering to be able to sit down with someone and talk to them and for them to relate to it and to understand what I'd gone through. I didn't get on so well with the steps and the actual program. So as I say, I went through two stints with them that ended up sort of not going. Um, and, and really for me, I think what kept me sober was the knowledge that life's better without drinking. It, you know, it really is that simple. And I'm not just talking about giving up a pleasure for the sake of, you know, missing out on the hangovers and all the rest of it. I think when you really start to dig into it, even that supposed pleasure that you get when you're drinking is not as good as you feel to if you're not drinking. The best feeling I get now is when I've had a good night's sleep and I get up and go for a run. That is a better feeling than I ever got from having alcohol. Absolutely. How interesting that we, we, well, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said because AA does work well. I will agree. I did it too. Um, back, I, I was, I've been sober. I say sober, but I mean, I was, let's say sober for 13 years. <clears throat> the relapse happened and it was quick. It was quick. Things were falling apart in my relationship. Life was not great. I wasn't happy in my career. And I just picked up a shot and and did it. 13 years, no drink, shot it. I had no real emo. I I had no real understanding truthfully of what alcohol did to me. I didn't understand the emotionality of, you know, my, 
why I was so unhappy. I could not grapple with my feelings. But besides, besides that, I ended up using for six months and I ended up wrecking a car, trashing my life. I mean, just tr in six months, I had, like you, I was drinking in the morning. Um, family was ruined. Everything was done. I couldn't stop. And I had to end up, I ended up going to recovery. So of course, AA is a big in institution. It's something that they push in, in rehab. And I had the same experience you had. I got more out of the group therapy in recovery than I did AA. When I got really effective sobriety in AA was sharing my story. So what I learned is sharing your story actually, it, it sort of, it sort of takes away a little bit of the pain. It, it cuts away. It cuts away at the pain that you have or the, the, the issues that you're dealing with. And it also, it, it also reminds you that you, you have an issue, uh, which was great, but it did. The steps were a little bit more difficult for me and working with someone, say a sponsor was a little bit difficult for me. So I, I ended up, educating myself. And I'm wondering, you know, through that cathartic process, or I'm sure it was really cathartic to write this book. Did this help you stay sober? Was this sort of something that obviously you're researching all of this, this has to be something you threw yourself into that helped you to stay sober, like the podcast does for me, like the sobriety, emotional sobriety program that I'm creating. All of that helps me to stay sober. Is that something that really worked for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. I, I, I thought I had a fairly good like, overall picture of alcohol and what it did and how it pulls us in. But when I sat to write the book, obviously, it um, I realised there were holes in it, but it didn't make sense. So I had to go back and like really redo it. So it, it absolutely helped me with my understanding of it. But I think that that's probably one of the central pillars for me is that understanding how it all fits together. And I think what you described as well about that, you know, you go through a really tough period and eventually you reach out and take that shot or whatever. I think that there's two parts to that. One is that like overriding memory that it does help. It makes you feel slightly better when you take it. And I think the other irresistible logic that was always pulling people in is, okay, so I quit. Now you quit for 13 years. So I'm sure there must have been something in your mind because this is so common for people to think now I can drink in inverted commas normally. I've stopped, I've had my reset. Um, and I think one of the things the understanding gave to me was alcohol is a, is a sedative, it's a drug, it's a sedative. It sedates things, it's a depressant. So it's something that decreases or inhibits nerve activity. But your brain reacts to it. Your brain releases and excretes its own array of chemicals drugs and hormones and it tries to it works by something called homeostasis which is a balance of all these chemicals drugs and hormones so your brain's trying to maintain this balance when you take a drug like alcohol it reacts to it it tries to reset the balance and it does this by re releasing stimulants it it in lots of ways but it releases stimulants things like adrenaline and cortisol which is a stress hormone to counter the sedating effects of the alcohol so when the alcohol wears off there's an unpleasant feeling because your brain's geared up to work under the stating effects of the alcohol, but the alcohol's gone. So you've kind of feel slightly tense, slightly nervous. Um, and of course, the more you drink, the worse that feeling gets. Now, what I started to understand was there's lots of reasons in life why you might feel bad. You might, it might be the chemical after effects of the alcohol wearing off, or you might have an argument with your partner or a bad day at work or whatever. Most of the time we feel bad we just get on with it. 
But over the years, your brain starts to make the connection here because this very specific bad feeling that kicks off when alcohol wears off, there's two ways to get rid of that bad feeling. One is to wait a few days for your brain, brain chemistry to get back to normal. But there's a far quicker way of getting, it, getting rid of it, and that's to have another drink. Because the reason you feel bad is because your brain's geared up to work under the sedating effects of the alcohol, but the alcohol's not there. So when you take another drink, you immediately address that balance and feel better. Now, when your brain makes that link, every drink causes a desire for the next one. Because it doesn't matter how many drinks you have, when the alcohol wears off, an unpleasant feeling kicks in and your brain interprets that as, I need another drink. And what I started to realize is, that's why I can never drink again, because my brain's made that connection. It doesn't matter whether I stop for a decade or 20 years or 50 years. If I ever have another drink, my brain will react to it by becoming oversensitive. It will wear off and I'll have that anxious feeling that kicks in afterwards. And my brain will interpret that as I want to drink. So mm -hmm. that's one of the things I think one of the strongest reasons I would never go back to drinking is because understanding that dynamic, understanding that I can never again have an easy relationship with alcohol, whether I ever did in the first place or, or not, is obviously up for grabs. But I, I just don't want that again. Yeah. Well, for people out there, there's there's ways to rationalize this. You can rationalize yourself into a drink or you can rationalize yourself out of a drink. Mm. And I do believe that is exactly what you've just said. And obviously the latter is a, a better choice because I stopped educating myself and relapse happened because I got comfortable after 13 years. I did rationalize the fact that I was now 37 years old and I could drink. Mm -hmm. And this was eight and a half years ago. Um, I could drink. I would be okay. I was older now things would be different and I could handle it only because I wanted to um, keep up with my spouse at the time who was beginning to bring alcohol back into the home after 13 years, which was really strange. And it did not work well, obviously. No, I had to rationalize it because I kind of wanted at the time to sort of make that relationship, I guess, work in some way. So I bent, I bent instead of saying, I know what this does to me and remembering the past. So for people out there staying connected to some sort of remembrance of what it does to your life is critical. And if you don't do something like Alcoholics Anonymous, I would assume that some type of therapy, continuing to immerse yourself in the culture of sobriety in some way is critical, I would assume. Um, and, and how do people do that without AA. Well, there's so much online now, right? I mean, you've got YouTube, you've got books like yours. You can continue to work on yourself. And I actually keep a picture of myself from that accident when I was handcuffed to a hospital bed with 25 staples in my forehead and a broken neck. And I'll look back at that and go, that is where I wind up if I drink. And usually that's mm -hmm. enough to stop my thinking from progressing into maybe I could have one. I think that's really important because I think there's two views of alcohol. Okay. For me, there's the reality of it. it. It's a particularly unpleasant carcinogen and it's highly addictive. Um, and the other view is the, oh, it's fun. It's okay. It's, you know, but unfortunately that the fun benign view of it is what you get most of the time you open social media, you'll have your friends, 
you know, whoever is posting images of them drinking. You get all these comedic memes about people drinking. There's songs about it. You've got people on TV doing it. And 99% of the time, it's the happy, benign version of it. So for me, it's incredibly important because if you quit drinking and say, right, job, job done, and off I go into the sunset, you're still being constantly bombarded with these false images of alcohol. And it only takes, you know, it wears you down over time and it just takes that one drink and then you're right back where you started again. So I think you're right. Sticking with, you know, groups, books, whatever it is, keep it. What it for me, what it comes down to is reminding yourself of the reality and not getting sucked into this happy-go-lucky fantasy that, oh, it's this wonderful drug, you need it to enjoy yourself and it's pretty harmless. Mm. That's why AA works. And I think the nature of AA works really well for people, the system, because you are reminding yourself, every time you go in, you're reminding mm. yourself, hi, I'm mad, I'm an alcoholic, which is yeah. great. Now, if you can, I've always been able to do that. I've always been able to wake up in the morning and recognize I'm an alcoholic. Um, I, I, I have an issue with alcohol, let's say. Mm. And I'm able to do that, which is, is nice. But, you know, a lot of people do need that extra reinforcement. And so, but for me, it is about building and it is about creating. I'm a very creative person. And so being able to create podcasts like this and speak to people like yourself and create courses to help people become, you know, emotionally well and sober is really important to me, you know. Um, and not stressing yourself out. I actually have a high level job. I'm actually a corporate executive at um, oh, okay. uh, a marketing I'm a marketing director at a, a large corporation and you know I, I like it and my life changed so much when I actually got really like well mm. does that make sense like I got well all of a sudden when I made this connection that alcohol no longer worked for me at all and I wasn't going to go back to it I started to look at my life differently and the people around me, my family, my friends, um, who were my friends? You know, how quickly do we learn who our real friends are when we quit drinking? There's so many people that they, they're gone. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, we were only, we were only there together because we enjoyed this chemical and without that chemical, we no longer enjoy people's company. A lot of the people that I do coach and I do help people, it, it, it comes down to you know, the people, places, and things, oftentimes the past. But isn't it interesting how we often lose those friends so quickly when we quit drinking and the people around us and how quickly our life changes when we redirect our our life in a way that is alcohol-free. And I'm sure your life changed too. You had to have, you know, people that fell off, um, friends that fell off. Uh, family looks at you differently. And a lot of people question you. So if you're out there and you're, you've got, you've got this amazing book that you've written, which is, it really is fantastic. Um, you know, people out there that are grappling with their relationship with alcohol, knowing all of this that we've just said, what are some practical strategies from your book, right? That they could maybe immediately apply to sort of stop drinking. So I think that there's a few things to be said there. I mean, one of them, I suppose it depends whether we're talking about sort of shorter or longer term, but I think one of the first things to bear in mind is it does get worse for a few days before it gets better. You do have this physiological side. So I've spoken about how alcohol acts as a sedative, but your body reacts to it by becoming hypersensitive. So 
when you stop drinking, you do have a few days where you feel worse. And that can be a horrible feeling for people because they, you know, they're kind of, they might not be comfortable with their drinking, but to feel that they've suddenly got to quit and they start to feel worse and actually they've got nothing to help relieve that can be incredibly intimidating. So what I would say to begin with, recognize that things do get better and they get better pretty rapidly. And not only do they get better rapidly, but when you start sleeping better, you'll start to feel better than you ever did when you were drinking. So you've got a lot to look forward to, even though there's immediately kind of a downside. The second thing I would say is, like I mentioned before, we tend to use alcohol as stress relief because it is an anaesthetic. So if we have something bad or upsetting, we tend to reach for it. Now, when you quit drinking, you are going to carry on living and you're still going to have ups as well as downs. So for me, it was very important to recognise that and to think, what am I going to do when something bad happens? Because some, unfortunately, something bad will happen. So it was best not to just sit there and wait for it to happen and think, oh, God, I feel awful. I'll reach for a drip. Oh, that's not there. It was to have something in place already. So when I have a really bad day, I am going to do X, Y and Z to help manage that. Um, what you've said about in inverted commas friendships as well, I think is very important because that's a big thing for people. You quite often hear, you know, you tell your friends no, you're not drinking and you suddenly stop getting invited out for stuff and it can be quite hurtful that. But I think the point there is friendship isn't about a drug. Okay, just because both of you are taking a drug at the same time, that does not forge a friendship. So your friends may change. What is more likely is you'll you'll either find out who your true friends are or start to make some new genuine friends as opposed to drinking partners. Yeah, thanks for aligning my thoughts. I kind of went all over the place on, on that. <laughs> um, but, but I do I, I do agree that it does get harder. Like people out there, it does get hard. When you first quit, it gets harder. But it gets easier a lot mm. faster than you would imagine. The only issue I would say out there for people out there that are trying to quit drinking is that when it does start to get better really quickly, like you, you immediately lose a little bit of weight. You're not as bloated. Your face looks better. Your skin looks better. You have more energy. You do sleep better. And all of a sudden you say, I could drink again. You do get that confidence. And I think that's where people go. They immediately are just like, oh, I feel better. I'm going to drink. That's one of the things I think when you're enmeshed in this cycle, and, and I've, I've kind of alluded to it before, but one of the things alcohol does, it prevents you being able to go into your natural sleep cycles. A lot of people think sleeping is just about falling unconscious and you wake up a few hours later, good to go. It's, it's not as simple as that. You go through very specific sleep cycles. One of these sleep cycles is REM, rapid eye movement. And when you're in that sleep cycle, your brain lights up almost as if you're fully awake. It's crucial for mental health. People that are starved of REM sleep become very depressed, very disorientated. Alcohol, because it's a sedative, has a massive impact on, on your REM sleep. Your brain can't get into REM sleep when you've been drinking. So that has a huge impact on just how good you feel day to day. Um, and it's not, it really shouldn't be underestimated. Oh, absolutely. You know, we look at sleep as something that repairs our brain and our body. Mm. How are we to have success in our lives, in our careers? How are we to have the emotionality for our family, make the money we want to make, have the success we want to make, have the motivation we want to make, get to the gym, perform well at a high level if we don't sleep. And a lot of people don't understand that your circadian rhythm is set. You have your own circadian rhythm, right? So when you 
fall asleep and your body feels tired every night at nine o'clock, that's your time to go to sleep. And you can sleep for, say, seven or eight hours, and your body will tell you now it is time for you to wake up. If you decide to push past that time that you normally feel tired, so say I feel tired at nine o'clock, and I decide I'm just going to push it, I'm going to have a few drinks and stay up till 11 or midnight, <clears throat> your circadian rhythm is now off. And you can go to sleep at 11 p.m., and you can wake up two and a half hours later than you normally would, but you did not get the sleep you your body needs because your circadian rhythm is now off and therefore you're never falling into to rapid eye movement you're not getting the repair that you you know think you need so alcohol it throws off these rhythms that we have in our lives it really does throw it off and then you know it throws off people's lives in such a way that they can no longer have the success they want to have and i find that so interesting with with clients how much success they actually have when they quit drinking. It takes a little bit of time because at first you're grappling with this new lifestyle and this, these, these emotions that come up. And they do come up when you first quit drinking. They do. You do get some new emotion that flows in and you learn to handle it. But the success that people have post-drinking and when they really do stop for a while and they, that you know that light bulb that comes on and you go, wow, my life is so much better. This is how normal people feel. Of course, life is going <laughs> to... Of course, life is going to be difficult. Like people are going to die. You're going to have financial losses. You're going to have stressful situations, illness. There's going to be lots of things that can happen uh, randomly. And so you've got to be able to handle those without a drink. And so that's where I go to the emotional part. Like, are you well enough? And that probably is is a good therapy can be a good thing there, right? Mm -hmm. Just to manage yeah, I, I found it incredibly useful, um, more so than I thought, because it, it's hard to articulate sometimes, but it's about putting that narrative in and understanding where you are and why you're there. And for me, I, I do kind of liken it to quitting drinking or certainly understanding alcohol in that it removed, I, I kind of, the problems with my life, I'd always had this over, overarching feeling that it was something I had done wrong. I had made a mistake. I had not done what I should have done. And that's why I'd ended up in this situation. And it really helped me to speak to a therapist and realize that that wasn't the case. And the reason I liken that to not drinking is because when people start to lose control of their drinking, they blame themselves, which is understandable because, you know, I can speak from my experience. I would be drinking and people would be saying, you're drinking too much don't have another one, you've had enough. And I will be saying, I want another one, I'm having another one. Because I was making that decision, I felt like it was my fault. Hang on, I drank too much yesterday. No one forced me to drink too much. It's my fault, my problem, there is something wrong with me. But when I started to understand the chemical nature of alcohol and how our brain reacts to it, and how every time you have a drink after 5, 10, 15 minutes, it wears off, causing the desire for the next one. And that is the nature of not only alcohol, but addiction generally. It kind of took away that guilt feeling. And I started to think, actually, you know what? It's not uh, the, the only thing I've done wrong is been sucked into the whole alcohol lie. To grow up as a young man where you go out and you drink a lot on every occasion that you can. And, and over the years, that it's impact on me. So I think we were, we were, we've had a little technical issue there, but we were diving into, um, the concept of therapy and 
you were talking about the benefits that it had given to you and that you were surprised by how well it was working and how we talked about how, you know, this is not, we, we always feel like it's our fault, you know, that we've, we've potentially drank. And now, now how did that work for you? Cause I think that's kind of where we, we dropped off, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So like I say, so, so I would be drinking and drinking too much and feeling like it was my fault. And I think that's common for a lot of people. But what I, understanding alcohol what i started to understand was it is a drug and your brain reacts to it and it reacts to it by causing an unpleasant feeling when the drug wears off and that causes a desire for the next one and that that's not only the nature of alcohol but it's the nature of certainly chemical addiction anyway it's the very building block of chemical addiction you take a drug it leaves an unpleasant feeling and you need another dose of the drug to relieve that and when you start to understand that you start to think hang on it's not my fault it's not something I've done wrong other than to sort of be sucked into the whole societal wide misunderstanding of alcohol, you know, and as a young man to go out and drink a lot, because that's what you do. You go out with your mates and you get as drunk as you possibly can. But do that for a few years and your brain starts to change, your brain starts to interpret things different ways and it starts to cause the desire for the next drink and the next and the next and it never stops because until you actually recognize that it's never going to stop and it's just going to continue to progress until you're six feet under and they're shoveling dirt in your face. Mm. It doesn't stop. And really people, it really is a killer. I, I've got to say I've done my fair share of, you know, partying in Hollywood and um, spent 20 years in a really crazy place in LA, a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, um, alcohol was by far the worst. I, it was terrible. It was so hard to, you know, come off of. It was hard to quit. It's socially acceptable. It's mm. just such a difficult drug. But ba back to your book. What when you finished this and you released the first one? What was the most surprising or impactful feedback you received from readers of Alcohol Explained? I think so. So I think the very first review I got was from a healthcare professional and he or she said how fantastic it was and how they were going to recommend it to, 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 the, to their patients. And it was really humbling. I mean, we, I think when you publish a book, you kind of hope for the best, but prepare for the worst kind of thing. You think, you know, it, it might not do anything. And one of my main concerns with alcohol explained it is literally that it explains alcohol it explains how it moves from being pleasurable to a necessity to being we're completely reliant on it um, and it explains all the sort of the nuances involved in that and when i was writing it i was thinking it was almost felt like i was setting the record straight you know society's got this view of alcohol it doesn't tally with the reality i'm going to write this book and set the record straight on exactly what it is um, and when i was writing it, i was thinking this is all very well, but is it actually going to help people to quit drinking? Because ultimately that, that was my goal to try and help people to get control of their lives back. I was thinking it's, you know, from, from an academic perspective, it's all very interesting to understand the whys and wherefores and how it all fits together. But is it going to help people? And I think one of the most reassuring things came about because people were quitting using it and it took me a few years to put my finger on it. But I think, the problem with alcohol, we've talked a lot about the downsides, but of course, 
the downsides aren't the things that keep pulling us back. It's all very well saying it ruins your sleep, it does this, it does this, it does this. They're not the th problem. The problem is, but I need it to enjoy social occasions. I need it to cope with stress. So, okay, I get that it's bad for me, but I've just had a really bad argument with my partner. My life is falling about apart and I just need something to make me feel better because I can't deal with this stress anymore. And I think when you do this really deep dive into it, you start to understand how it doesn't relieve stress at all. In fact, it exacerbates it. You have a drink and it provides a very brief anaesthetizing effect. So it does make you feel slightly better, but then it wears off leaving a corresponding feeling of anxiety. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Whatever relaxing or comforting effect you get from a drink, there's a corresponding feeling of increasing anxiety when it wears off. On top of that, it ruins your sleep. On top of that, and a couple of things I've not spoken about, but it increases your heart rate. Now, when your heart rate goes up, you want to sit down and rest. You know, it's a fail-safe mechanism to stop you exercising until your heart explodes. The quicker your heart's mm -hmm. going, the more you want to sit down and rest. So another thing alcohol does, it robs you of energy because it increases your heart rate. You start mm -hmm. to feel tired and lethargic and just want to sit down all the time. So because it has all those effects, I think understanding that was the key for quitting to people. You know, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, where anyone, be they chronically alcohol dependent or just, you know, a dabbler, they've got a balancing act going on between this is the pros of drinking and this is the cons. It, it's weighted in favour of having a drink, so I'll have a drink. And I think what Alcohol Explained does, it, it completely clears all that confusion away and gives you a totally new perspective. And certainly for me, my perspective of alcohol changed from, you know, it's fun, you have fun with your mates when you're drinking, it's good stress relief, it's pretty harmless, to something completely different. And, and now I have absolutely zero interest in consuming it again. It, it holds no allure for me. And I think that's come about from my understanding. So I, th I think that that was the most heartening thing, realising that understanding all the mechanics of it actually give people a new perspective of it. And it's a perspective that allows them to say, you know what, I just don't want this drug anymore. I, I think you're spot on. The book, for those of you out there that, that want to go out and read this book now, and you should, the understanding that it, it allows you of alcohol through the science really empowers you as an individual to make changes. And I think that's crucial. And I think what you've created is really an interesting dissection of what alcohol really is. It is a, it's like this, you know, granular look at what it's doing to your life. And not many people take a granular look at that. I think that's what differentiates this book from so many others that are out there teaching you about, you know, just the surface level 30,000 feet. Here's what alcohol is doing to you. Here's why you should stop it. This is like in-depth teaching you about what alcohol is doing to your body and the mental impact, mental health impact, the physical aspect. There's so many aspects of why alcohol is negative for you. Um, you know, anxiety and depression, we've touched on almost everything that is really, really important out there, you know, and I don't know if there's any prevailing myths about alcohol that you've maybe debunked that we haven't talked about anything else that comes to mind. There, there's one I 
Yeah, they, well, yeah, there's a few, but I think one, one that I would mention is, you know, we've talked about how alcohol ruins sleep. Now, I've spoken to a lot of people about this, and what the, the reaction you sometimes get is, but I need alcohol to get to sleep. I don't sleep without it. It's, you know, it really helps me sleep. And I think that that's a really powerful um, belief that people have about it. And I think it's worth just mentioning very quickly on that because it can be such a big pull for people. So you mentioned before about, you know, you get to nine o'clock, it's your natural circadian rhythm where you wind down and go to sleep. If you're not drinking, when you get towards bedtime, your brain naturally starts to close things down. So you drift in a natural into a natural and restorative sleep. When you're drinking alcohol regularly, your brain stops going through that process because it just relies on the sedating effects of the alcohol to knock you out. And I, I use the word knock you out, and not sleep, because what we experience when we've been drinking isn't sleep. It's just unconsciousness. Um, so what happens is if you're a regular drinker, you might think to yourself, you know what, I'll have a day off drinking once because we you know we're encouraged to have it. You know, if you are drinking, have a day off once or twice a week. So you have a day off and you find you can't sleep. Now, the reason for that is, as I say, your brain has become reliant on the sedating effects of the alcohol to knock you out. And it takes a few days to get back to normal. So this is another thing we just emphasize to people. If you're one of those people that think you need alcohol to sleep, you absolutely do not. But you do need to stop long enough for your brain to kick in. Remember what I've said said numerous times, you, the human body and brain is a great adapter. It will adapt to alcohol and it will adapt when you remove alcohol. So if you're drinking regularly and you stop drinking on day one, you'll find it incredibly difficult to sleep because your brain hasn't picked up the slack. But two, three, four days in, your brain starts to realize the alcohol is no longer there. So it starts to go through that process again. Yeah, it's it's incredible the way alcohol moves. And is it true that alcohol is really one of the only drugs that can invade every cell in your body? Yeah, I think so. So it's a very small molecule. So for that reason, it can pass through all kinds of things. So I think that's correct. It's, yeah, very mm -hmm. invasive. Yeah. Well, this has been incredible. This, this I would love to have you come on to my sobriety platform occasionally and talk to just so insightful. Um, and, and as, so as we look to the future, um, are there any developments or changes that you hope to see in, you know, the, the movement toward educating people? I mean, obviously to inform them more, um, is hopefully there's some kind of movement out there and I see it happening. Do you see it happening? Yeah, this movement absolutely. toward this, tell, teaching people like we're going, it's almost like we're going against the, um, you know, alcohol corporations. There's, you know, these big oligarchs that own this marketing and advertising that are out there pushing their initiatives and stopping legislation from trying to, you know, put certain uh, cautions on, on things and, and cautions on marketing. But I see it in this, independent way through YouTube and through all this creation of content and books and things, you know, books like yours that are starting to educate people. So do you see that happening as well? Absolutely. I think there's a huge movement. Um, I think that the biggest change, the biggest change I've seen is when I first published Alcohol Explained, and it was, a, I think about eight years ago now, the question people were tending to ask themselves is, am I alcohol dependent? Am I alcoholic? That was the big question. And if the answer was yes, 
oh no, I've got to quit drinking. But if the answer was no, oh fine, I'll just carry on. Whereas the big changes, that question has changed now. And what people are actually asking themselves is, is this serving me? Am I getting more out of it than I'm putting in? And that's making a massive difference because it's opening up. I see now people stopping drinking. I know people who drink one or two glasses of red wine a week who've quit drinking because they've recognized mm. that it causes that impact in stress. It causes that disruption to their sleep. So they're quitting drinking. People are quitting drinking for a healthy lifestyle choice. And that didn't happen a few years ago. I very much see it going the same way that smoking has gone. I think it's becoming, you know, 50 years ago, people didn't really think that smoking was bad for you. They thought it was a social habit. It was fine to do it. That's how people see drinking now. Now, of course, we realise that all of that's a lie with smoking. It's incredibly addictive. It's bad for you when you are addicted. You're getting no pleasure out of it. You're just being forced to keep doing it and it's killing you. And I think that dynamic is starting to be recognised with alcohol. There's a lot of differences there, but I definitely see that that way going. And when you look at millennials, I think they're they're drinking less as a generation than any other generation that's gone before them. Which is excellent. I think that mm -hmm. the statistics show that, you know, 50% of violent crime, the perpetrator or the victim is under the influence of alcohol. So mm -hmm. if we can reduce violent crime, domestic violence, theft, property damage, that's a yeah. good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, love to have you on again in the future. We could probably go on for two hours talking about our, yeah. our stories, but um, you know, thank you so much again. No, no, I really thank you for inviting me. Really enjoyed People it. Thank you. There. Yeah, go get the book. Go get the book. There, there's another book. Do you want to talk? Tell us a little bit about the the alcohol explained two before we we jump off. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I wrote, I'll, I'll tell you very quickly, but when I first wrote Alcohol Explained, obviously I got the website, I started doing regular blog posts uh, and I was still learning, to be honest. And then I had the additional benefit that people were reaching out to me. So I was encountering, you know, a wider kind of different drinkers to write different experiences to what I had. So I did quite a few blog posts and then a year or two down the line, I thought actually some of these are quite important and I was going to update Alcohol Explained to to do like a second edition and incorporate all this new material but it was just too much so it ended up becoming sort of a separate book but it tends to concentrate a bit more on actual tools for getting and staying sober whereas alcohol explained was more to do with the mechanics wow that's great uh, people out there this is uh, something you should definitely go and check out where can they get the book um amazon um, so it's on Amazon, but I think if people are interested, a good starting point is the, the website, which is alcoholexplained.com, because the first five chapters are on there. So you can just go on. It's on a PDF on one of the pages. Fantastic. Hey, thanks so much again. Appreciate it. And I'd love to have you back on.